My name is Richard Morellis, and I want to welcome you to the Prison Post. This is your podcast for conversations surrounding the need to reform prisons from the perspective of formerly incarcerated people, community members, and leaders in the restorative justice movement. The Prison Post will feature an episode every Wednesday with people who are in the fight to restore lives and heal communities. Welcome back to the Prison Post. My name is Richard Morellis. This is my co-host, Jason Bryant. Hello, everyone. Good to see you, Jay. Good to see you. We're super excited. We got two close friends of ours here with us today. We uh, we actually served time together in Soledad Prison, CTF. Uh, Hugo Gonzalez, Manny Thomas, it's great to have you with us. I want to do great a couple. To it's good to see you guys again, man. Great to see you. Guys. Look at them smiles. <laughs> I want to share a little bit. That's what I was going to say about you guys. Like, whoa, smiles are bright all across the face. Great smiles. Those are the smiles of freedom right there. That's right. Freedom smiles. Yes, sir. You have the same smiles I had on my face when Rich was bringing burritos to my door. Hey, (laughs) we're going to get to that. I think it's a little bit wider. I think it's a little bit wider. Your smiles is a little bit wider with that freedom attached to it. Ted's a little bit, uh, he's a little bit uh, victimized with roommates. And he says, man, you did all the cooking on the inside. You ain't cooked once since you've been out. Uh, Not with all these restaurants out here. <laughs> but I want to give a little bit of introduction to you guys uh, before we get back into our conversation and having some fun. Uh, you were both featured on, on the, the CNN documentary, The Feminist on, uh, the Feminist on South Block Y, excuse me. Uh, you guys are, are unique to our show. It's our 16th episode. We have never had two guests who were sentenced to a total of over 100 years to life. And you guys work together today. We've never had two guests with that much. And, and even though I know we're going to be talking about success stories, a program that you guys are leaders and facilitators in that you, with, with your work that you started with in the inside when you're facilitators. But I think today is also a show about hope as well, because there are so many people in our audience who are loved ones of the incarcerated who wonder, what about my son? What about my daughter? They have 36 to life or 25 to life or 50 to life. Is there a possibility for me? And so to see you guys out here, to see you guys free, I just want you to know that you're going to be bringing hope to the thousands of people. I appreciate that. <clears throat> I'll start off with Manny. Manny Thomas was sentenced to 32 years to life as a youth. While in prison, he earned five, to five associate degrees in multiple disciplines. Manny also served as a facilitator for success stories while housed at CTF Soledad Prison. Nearly two years ago, Governor Brown took note of his transformation in hard work and commuted Manny's sentence to 14 years to life. Manny was found suitable for parole, and upon his release in October of, 1990, of 2019, he was hired as a success stories coach and growth coordinator. Today, he focuses on identifying and securing new sites to deliver success stories program. Manny has written and edited for online publications and believes in the power of sharing our stories. He strongly believes in community collaboration, which is why he works with Initiate Justice and facilitates healing circles for men on the second Monday of every month. It's Manny's strong belief that people can get, that people can be given what they need in society to transform and not be subjected to isolation and trauma. He has dedicated his life to ensure that people have the opportunity and not commit the same harm that he did. And then there's Hugo Gonzalez. Hugo. (laughs) Hugo Gonzalez is a success stories, alumni coordinator and a coach. After serving 18 and a half years in prison, he don't look like it. He looked about 25 years old. <laughs> but after serving 18 and a half years in prison, his sentence was commuted also by Governor Jerry Brown. He was 16 years old when he was sentenced to three consecutive life sentences in adult prison. Hugo is a phenomenal artist, advocate, storyteller who is now working with success stories. Hugo goes to, to public forums, conferences and schools to, to speak about patriarchy, toxic masculinity gang intervention, rehabilitation, and reentry. In a little over a month, Hugo will be also be going to law school at Loyola Marymount University. Congratulations, Hugo. Sir. Thank you. Appreciate Welcome to the that. show, guys. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having us. That's right. You know, um, I just want to say, uh, I want to start off by, by telling on myself a little bit. Um, you know, uh, we, you guys talk, spend a lot of time talking about toxic male traits and uh, and toxic masculinity and uh you know i'm i'm not a people may think i'm a nice guy out here but i don't always start out that way and one of my one of mine uh my things was uh, i know as a as a man you know we compare and we compete and i was always comparing and competing and and, and one of my uh character defects was arrogance and my arrogance literally almost kept me from having the friendship the friendships that i do with all of you today 
I mean, it was with Jason on the handball court. When yeah. I first met him on the handball court, I was a competitor. I saw this guy. He couldn't take a loss. I, I couldn't stand the first time I met him. <laughs> now I'm the godfather of his, of his oldest son. This is true. And, and with, with Manny, he was on a TEDx, big TEDx uh, panel, judging speeches. And I was like, who's this guy? And really, and really, in reality, I wanted to be that guy. And he was younger than me. And I'm like, man. But uh, and that was my arrogance as well. Thank God. Uh, like Manny said earlier, we, we ended up living across from each other, becoming close friends, shared burritos together. When he was preparing for board, we were praying through the crack of my door. And, you know, <laughs> my brother's got emo some emotions. <laughs> he was worried. But, uh, you know, he's blessed with his freedom. And, and Hugo was a little bit different because I, I paid him a compliment in a, in a, in a self-help group. And I said, he's got a lot of potential. And he's like, ah, you know, I, I said it in a way where like I've reached that point because I'm the president of Toastmasters and and one day you'll get to where I'm at because right. I was the cream of the crop and saw it at prison. And, uh, you know, high uh, aspirations. You kept the resentment for me for for a bit, but uh, he forgave me and loved me. Shit. And he uh, Manny lived right across from me in, in Soledad and Z-Wing and Hugo lived right above me. So yeah. I had access to both. They both ate hundreds of my burritos and. uh <laughs> And uh, we're at each other's door. We spent thousands of hours as friends. But what are some of the other, <laughs> what are th thousands of hours hanging out together and, and, and forming a bond that is a lifelong bond, I believe. But what sure. are some of the other stories that you remember about either Jay or, or, or each other that, um, that, you, that you think about from time to time while we were there? Uh, I think what comes up for me when we're talking about the group of, the group of men that I've had the privilege to get to know and really love um, is this idea of consistently questioning whether or not, like, I'm living up to what I need to be doing as an individual, right? Like, the, the, continues, the continuously holding me accountable. Um, there has been, I think, specifically uh, you and Jay Rich, so where there was times where you guys would come up to me and say, look, you're not doing enough. Uh, because my fault, my fallback was, you know, I, you know, I was in that arrogant place too. Like, you know, I had, by that time, by the time I had met you guys, I had created multiple groups. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, and I, I remember the first time I heard Jay talking about, uh, what he was working on to get his master's. And, and I was like, master's? like I don't even have my bachelor's yet. <laughs> so it was that instant feeling of like, oh, I'm not really doing anything. Like we could sit here and talk about those five associates degrees, but it just felt like nothing, but it didn't seem like it was coming from a judgmental place. It was just like, oh, like you can do more. Like it, there, there's no reason for because and and then what was beautiful about it is I'm getting this sense of you could do more from Jay, and then and Rich would come behind him with, not only can you do more, but you should be doing more mm. because those gifts that you have are not yours. Like you're supposed to be giving that to other people, um, and being able to like shift my paradigm in that way um, is the reason why I'm able to live this life of service. Uh, and it's changed. It's changed. You know, my relationship with my family has changed my relationship, you know, my marriage, it's changed my friendships. Um, so being a part of this collective and this group that we created with right. each other, you know, holding ourselves accountable has drastically changed my life. And I'm sure forever. Will. That's, That's awesome. Yeah. What about you, Hugo? Yeah. <clears throat> so for me, what, what stands out is, uh, so ever since I was uh, a young teenager, I, I had, I, I felt like I knew it all. And I had this way of thinking or, or feeling like, let me gauge who's surrounding me. Let me, let me gauge the people that are surrounding me and, and, and put them in the category depending on where I feel they're gauging at. Um, so for a long time, that was saturated with the negative lifestyle, mm. with the whole gang lifestyle and, and revolving in violence and, and, and telling myself like, okay, this guy's willing to go that far. These guys are not. And I always gauge myself in saying, I could do what they do. I could do what the main ones, what the main ones are doing. Um, when I got to Soledad, the perspective changed. Um, and it changed because it was obvious that what I was standing for was straight BS. But to actually be able to listen to individuals elaborate on that, that was even more clear for me. But but more than anything else, I be, I, I continued with this gauging way of, of, of doing things. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that it, 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 was, it was completely working for me. But what it, what it did do for me is it did give me that motivation of I could do that as well. So in the same way that I was looking up to people in a negative way, I was also looking up to people but in prison, but now it was forming into something positive. The only thing was is that the individuals that I was actually gauging with weren't always people that I was actually seeing eye to eye with because mm. I, 
it, many times and it could have been something that I was telling myself or it could have been something that, that I, I, I told myself that I knew again telling myself. But it was almost like, okay, they arrived. They, they're, they're at the pinnacle and hold the gavel of being able to judge who's still on their criminality and who still isn't cooked. And I'm, I'm <laughs> on the other end of it to where it's like, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to go along with that. But at the same time, I want to be a part of that. Sure. So, so from afar, I, I, I was watching it and, and, and also surrounded by close individuals like Johnny Howe and people that were, were giving me the same, the same, the same, um, the same feedback, but in a different way. Right. They were giving it to me in a way where you're ostracized because you're still in your criminality. It was more like, nah, this, this is things to consider, things that they, that could help you out. Sure. And it all evolved into me living the same way, but in a positive way, which is I could do that as well. And I was surrounded by individuals that, that were so great in their way of being, uh, imperfect as they were, imperfect as you guys were at the same time. It was just amazing to be able to take from that. And even though I was the young one of the bunch to honestly be motivated and say, I could do that too. Like I could do that too. Like I'm, I'm going to be good at that too. And it just, this bar that, that was set for me or that I set for myself became my, 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 my way of catapulting myself into not even myself, became a way of being able to push myself even further thanks to everybody that was around me, whether they liked me or not, or whether I liked them or not. And now I could honestly say that, like, I grew up around those individuals. Like, everything, the majority of things that I know, like, I learned in prison, and I literally grew up in prison. And much credit to the individuals that, that taught me well and that I was able to take from because that's the reason why I'm sitting here in my own apartment, three blocks from the beach, being able to talk to you guys about how I'm free and how I'm grateful. Right. That's right. That's amazing. And, you know, I just want to say there, there was definitely a shift in my experience in, in my 20 years of incarceration uh, between like my first 10 years and my last 10 years. And it was like during the last 10 years when they started making some real transitions in introducing programs, they add the R to CDC and you could tell like there's, there's some guys who really want to get it. They really want to make the most of their time. And they want to fight and do the work that's necessary to be free. And you two gentlemen, uh, just, I've always been so impressed. And, and, you know, just speak to Hugo, like, yeah, sometimes you don't always see eye to eye. It's, and I'm a firm believer in the principle that iron sharpens iron, right? And also to speak to Manny's point, the, the, the accountability that we had for each other, the community we built, the, the accountability we had for one another was just a really powerful thing. One of the things with Manny that stands out for me in particular, though, has, has less to do with self-help and, like, becoming a better person and more to do with sports. So I was, I was the coach. I was the coach of a football team and, and Manny. So Manny has, you know, I think we all have this inclination at times to give ourselves over to a little bit of confidence that maybe leans towards cockiness and he's like i'm a great athlete i'm a great line, linebacker and you know to his to his defense he is a really good athlete most of the greats did that <laughs> so we're in a championship football game though and i've got him in at linebacker and i tell him i said look your only job is to stop that running back your only job is to stop that running back and people are telling me like can you can you do it and i'm saying yeah he can do it and i know he can do it but on that play that i needed him to make the stop the guy got the touchdown and I remember I was so upset with him because of that accountability. Like, you know, I'm, I'm holding you to this bar, but it was just a, a good example of, of a time how we're, we're not perfect, right? Uh, we don't always make the tackle. We don't always make the catch in the game of uh, football or in life. But the, the thing about you two guys is in those big moments, in those really big moments, the ones that really, that really count. I'm not talking about a football game. Like, you guys showed up. You know, Hugo yeah. with this with the speeches you gave to people that just moved them. Manny with with For his sure. work with with men inside and uh, just you guys showed up. And definitely. I appreciate that. It's definitely true. I, I want to say something about that too. And before we get into talking about success stories, a program that you guys are part of, uh, uh, starting on the inside and, and facilitating and leading, and you're still doing to this day out here and being highly successful. Um, but you know. Can you just talk to what it was like to be sentenced to 32 years to life and for Manny and three consecutive life sentences for Hugo and to and to be released after 15 and a half years with Manny and 18 and a half years with Hugo to be out here now and to be free and just connected to to those to those moms and sisters, brothers, you know, um, 
husbands, wives who are waiting on their loved one and are wondering, you know, with their sentence, is it, is it going to be possible for me? And what are some of the things that they could do while they're in there uh, to be in a position like you guys were? To me, you guys were like walking miracles. We remember the days when lifers first started getting dates. And then, mm-hmm. we, and then we lived in a new era where there were some of those very first people to get commutations. And you guys were some of the first ones that get called into that office and be and get on a call with the governor and to come back. And uh, it was, you know, Jim Micheletti from Palma School, he says, on a daily basis, collect evidence of hope. And you guys are, are living, uh, living uh, evidence of hope. So we speak to that real quick. Yeah, um, there's a lot there. I, I, I want to be honest in I, I don't want people to feel like there's going to be days when their loved one just doesn't see the light right at the end of the tunnel. There, there were days for me, especially early on in the beginning where it's just like, I didn't see a way out of my current circumstances. And in fact, I just didn't believe that it ever happened. But what happened was, is the people that were supporting me were, the, were they were the source of that hope, right? They were, they reminded me of what I was fighting for. And they also reminded me that I wasn't there alone. Like I really began to realize that it wasn't just me that I took to prison. I took parts of everybody who loved me with me. Um, and you know, there was joys that they couldn't reach in their life. And there was things that they couldn't experience because the person that they wanted to experience that with wasn't with them. Right. Um, so I, I would encourage though the families to, to continue to, you know, remind people what they're fighting for. Um, and for their families, look, it, it, it's kind of like that thing where people talk about like manifesting what's possible in their life. Uh, they have to, they have to live in a way to where what they want is what they're acting out on in the day to day. Um, I didn't know if or when I was ever going to be released, but the mentality that I had after, after a certain point in prison was, look, I have the opportunity to either live a life of meaning even while I'm in prison, or I could just keep giving into the nonsense and just get deeper into prison. And I know that I didn't want to get deeper into prison, right? Like I, that wasn't a choice for me. So the, the choice that I had left was, hey, look, I can live this meaningful life even while I was in prison. And all those things that I did to either deal with whatever issues that I had or to feed my spirit or to, you know, produce meaningful friendships, um, to sharpen certain skills that I had, like all that work is what eventually led me to being free. Right. Right. Um, And I think that that is the biggest thing that I see now in my freedom is at the time, even even school, I remember when we had TEDx in 2013 in Ironwood, and I was talking to the director of CDC at the time, and I said, I just don't understand why you're doing all this to educate me for free when my education is for nothing if you're not ever thinking about letting me go. Right. You really have just wasted an asset. You've educated me to do what? Sit in a cell and be a clerk? Like, like what is the end-all, be-all to that? And then I quickly realized that taking advantage of those opportunities while I was there is the reason that I'm successful now. Right. Like, so it was the, the work that you're doing inside is not useless. That's you're right. actually building the foundation to the dreams that you want when you get home. And it's going to make all that possible. So I would just like for people to always remember and consider that and to each day live it as if you're getting out tomorrow and making sure that you're getting prepared. That's right. Just be prepared because you never know how those, I didn't know I was going to get a commutation. Yeah. I didn't know that, you know, I was going to be sitting in front of the board in my 15 and a half year, I thought I was going to board in 2036. Like I didn't know, but I was living in a way that if that, if I was given the opportunity, I was able to make the most of it. And there weren't things that they could count against. That's a key right there. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. um, Hearing Manny speak about that reminds me of the day I was sentenced. And I remember, I remember my, my, my lawyer following me into the little holding tank that they had right next to the court, the courtroom that, that, that I was at. And I remember asking him, I was like, what does that mean? And, and he was like, well, you have three consecutive life sentences. I was like, yeah, but what, when am I going home? Like, what does that mean? And he was like, well, we're just going to have to appeal. But as of right now, I mean, you're going to have to do three consecutive life sentences. And then he goes, I just want you to remember one thing. He goes, everything happens for a reason. And this is such a, in that moment, like I've heard this phrase before and it's such a played out phrase, but at that moment, I really did not want to hear that phrase. I did not want to hear that this has some type of reason behind it because I don't want to know what that reason is. All I know is that I was sentenced to basically dying in prison. And I'm like, hell no, I don't want to hear that part. Right. And I remember just like, like sitting there by myself in this dark, small 
cell that was just big enough for one person in the toilet on the side. And I'm just like, what the hell is going on? Like, is this serious? Like, is this true? Like, is this reality? And you were 16, Hugo? Yeah. By that time, I was already 17. But the reality is, is that as the years passed, like um, the uh, birthday cards and Christmas cards dwindled to nothing. As the years passed, like it was easier for my family to cope with. And again, no judgment. I, I love my mother. My mother loves me. But it was easier for her to cope with the stress of her feeling like her son was never going to come out of prison by her moving to Oklahoma and just simply like like living on, moving on with her life and mm. taking care of my siblings and paying her mortgage. And and many people may have like reservations or opinions of, of, of that. I respect and love my mother because she was doing the best she could with what she knew and with what she had. No, uh, I, I can I, I can relate with that, Hugo. I just want to throw this in real quick. You know, in my own family, I experienced the same, a similar situation where, and they, they said, you know, it's just, it's so hard to explain to people what happened to you. It's easier almost at times to just, to act like you don't exist. And, and yeah. that, I mean, that's just, it, it, it speaks to, to how we victimize our families with our poor choices, you know? So I just want to no. add that. No, 100%. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad that I'm glad that you pointed that out because a lot of times people really don't even want to admit that that's the way it went down. But right. the truth is that for me, that's the way it went down. Right. Like I re- it was rare that I would get visits. It was rare that I would get like, like mail. I did not have a, um, someone that I knew from high school or junior high coming to visit me. My, my, my quote unquote friends consisted of gang members that were also going through the in and out process. But the thing about all of that is, is that as the years went on, like I, 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 the, the, the words that my lawyer told me rang true. It became mm. true. It became so true because I started growing. Literally, I started maturing in prison. That it happened for a reason. Understanding, yeah. Even though I didn't have a clear idea of what I wanted to do or who I wanted to be. And, mm-hmm. and even think about that because I felt like, oh my God, I'm in black and white. It really honestly says that my earliest estimated parole date is 2075. It still felt like there was something in there to say, like, just keep on going. Something's going to happen. Something's right. going to give. And and just that inner hope of just feeling that, really, I started really understanding that things were happening for a reason. I was learning things, and I started recognizing myself for who I really was instead of who I was pretending to be. But most importantly, it all started clicking like Legos. It all started making sense. It all started, one thing was leading to another. I met this person and then next thing you know, I met this person and then next thing you know, I knew people from outside and it grew into something that that was supporting me into becoming myself. And that's right. it was great going to groups, wanting to go home. That's great. But what happens when I come home? Like I would say that more than anything else, what really honestly helped me out while being in prison is really honestly getting to know myself and more importantly, start questioning that self inquiry of like, what do I want for myself? Right. Like, what do I want for my future? And if, and if my future does end here, if it does end in prison, like how do I want to live my life in prison? Sure. And it, it was a bumpy road. It wasn't smooth. But what I, what I will say is that, it was in those moments of deciding and making tough decisions for myself where I felt that there was going to be this strong repercussion of people judging me or saying that, oh, he became one of those or, oh, now he's a groupie because he does nothing but groups or now this and that. It, 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 the opinions of others really didn't matter. I'll take that back. The opinions of others did matter, but the people mm. had changed. It was no longer sure. uh, the people that were driving me to doing negative things. It was now the opinions of those individuals like you, Jay, like you, Rich, Ted. It was sure. it, it was individuals that I, I value their opinion. And even though from time to time we wouldn't see eye to eye, it was like it made me think, like, why the hell would he say that? Like why would he why would he why would he say that to me? And then it really honestly helped me. And iron does sharpen iron and yeah. all credits to, to for any credit that I get for saying anything, um, I give it I give credit to my brothers not only in Solidar but throughout the prisons that I was at because that's where I grew. And when I say that, I want to be very clear what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being able to honestly know who I am and then just live out that life. And the byproduct of that was my freedom. That's right. Next thing you know, like, I didn't, commutation wasn't even in my vocabulary to know. I just knew part right. of it. I knew right. clemency. Right. I, I told the guy, like, I went to my uh, consult, uh, my, my uh, uh, commutation hearing, and he goes, you mean consultation? And I go, no, 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 I mean commutation. And he goes, no, 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 look, look, youngster. 
I've been in prison long enough, and what they've started is consultation, not commutation. <laughs> and I wanted to honestly say, like, no, man, I know I'm right on what I'm saying. <laughs> and it was amazing because it wasn't until that happened to me that individuals in that yard started really, like, recognizing, like, man, we could do that. Sure. Like, I could file for that. <clears throat> I could do it. And it just, the trajectory of of, of finding a way out sooner mm-hmm. became, became hopeful, became reality. And that's when this thing just started carrying on. And it, it just happened to be that it was me, but it could have been any of us. Right. And by all means, I, I, I really am appreciative for the experiences. And now I understand what that guy meant when he said, man, everything happens for a reason. Reason. That's great. Yep. That's great. Hugo. So, so we're, 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 thank you guys both for sharing. And, uh, and so many of our friends ended up getting other commutations. Jason was one of them. Ted was one of them. Eric Alvarado, Ezekiel Malgoza, uh, Justin Chung, and 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 the list goes on and on. And and people started putting them in, and, and then they started looking at their merits. And so we just want our, our audience to know if you got a loved one that's been in there for a long time, has been doing good for a lot of, a long time, and um, has has taken a stand for like Hugo talked about and Manny talked about for who they want to be and what they want to do in life. Come what may. When they get in touch with their that awareness, um, um, so many things like Hugo said, the byproduct could be freedom, <clears throat> and for him was freedom. So earlier in, in the introduction, we we're talking about I talked about that you I saw you guys both on the on the video, the feminist on Cell Block Y. It's been out for a few years now, but uh, Manny, you were featured in you were featured in it. I know Hugo was in it. Tell us a little bit about when I look on, on Instagram and I, for success stories, it's under prison feminism. Would you talk about <laughs> uh that what that what that term means and how it ties how it ties into the work with success stories yeah i you know i really appreciate that question so first of all it's kind of funny like prison feminism came out of this like really just this description of of you know what we were doing right like um at times when you're starting something that is unheard of like you really looked especially in prison we were looked at as like the weirdos like what are you guys talking about so the, the term really just, you know, explains what we were doing. Um, but it also comes up a lot. Um, like people will ask us, well, does everybody who goes to your, you know, your program, are they identified feminists? And the answer to that is no. But that doesn't mean that that's not where our work is informed from and for a very important reason. So if we're looking at like, so you talked about early on about how, um, you know, how you would either dominate somebody through intelligence or, you know, you, how you looked at your prowess of being able to play a sport a certain way. Like this idea of manhood and where we get our sense of power from, like, isn't unique to just those, like the system patriarchy tells us that that's how we gain our power, right? There's, there's like four principal ways in which men can gain their power. And that's either through, through some type of domination, whether that's through, you know, the emotional state, which really just means our inability to be vulnerable, right? Like we should not be vulnerable, right? Sure. Um, the objectification of people or women or our, our ability to make money, right? So if we're acknowledging that when men in their individual lives are walking out this toxic masculinity, right? But when society itself supports that thinking, right? That that's the patriarchal system that we're talking about. So then the feminism aspect becomes that that's the answer to that, right? So like, you know, feminism, people look at typically they're like, okay, well, feminism is a movement to end sexism, you know, sexual exploitation, sexual exploitation, excuse me, oppression or the objectification. Like, well, what does that have to do with the program? And then the truth of it is, is it becomes the answer, right? Feminist politics allows us to love without disposability, right? It encourages us to be vulnerable because this idea that only men are masculine and only women are feminine, like, no, well-rounded human beings have the, have not only the ability to be both, but they should be both. And that's what makes us human, right? Mm. And these idea of like, quote unquote, gender norms, what begins to happen is, is if we truly take a good look at patriarchy, which we begin to value masculinity more than femininity. And if, you know, the men and the women are tied to those because the gender norm says one should be one way, one, one right. is the other, like one becomes more important than the other. Sure. Right? I and mean, histor- historically, that's been true, right? Exactly, right? And then the, the systems are no different. So the systems that are born out of patriarchy, when we mm-hmm. talk about like mass incarceration, like we all know that punishment right now is the dominant culture, right? right. So we're going to look at like abolition feminism. What we're saying is punishment should not be the way that we address harm. So those hundreds of years to life that we were all sentenced to was not the catalyst of our change, right? No. Like it was the 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 people who were coming in the community based organizations that were giving us what we needed it was the investment were, it was the investment in us as people that transformed us not the time exactly the right? right 
all of a sudden now it's it, it's not we're not it's the ability to love without disposability, right? Like we're not just disposing human beings. Right. We're saying no, that these human beings can be restored, right? It's just about us investing in them what they need. Sure. So when we like when we when we think about like what the feminist politic is, that's how it informs our work, and that's why it's important for us to make sure that like that, that information is getting out and people are making that self-discovery and being aware of this like punishment culture that is associated with patriarchy and how feminine, you know, the feminist thinking and language is the answer to that. Right. Because it's it's so like it permeates throughout our society. Right. And if we're not bringing attention to that and in and specifically with men in prison, because that was the most hyper violent, you know, sure. environment and things were going on. And we were like, damn, we have a choice not to do this. Right. Let me ask you this, Manny. Is, yeah. is, is there such thing as healthy masculinity? And if so, what does it look like? Sure. So healthy masculinity is a masculinity that we define, though, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's not the social norm of saying, like, oh, I got to be this tough guy or I got to dominate. Healthy masculinity may be uh, hugging my brother when I know that he's in need, right? Sure. Or lending or listening. In. Like, it, it comes with me realizing that I'm the only me that will ever exist, and that's where my value comes from, and not this idea that, the money that I make or my, my ability to be violent or whatever, like my, like for me, if I'm thinking about my masculinity, my masculinity means knowing when I need to be both mm. knowing when I need to let knowing when I need to let my vulnerability shine, knowing when I need to have certain aspects of me to give myself fully so that I can be fully human. We're getting to a point where we need to allow men to be fully human. And that means to express our full range of emotions. So if a person was asking me what is healthy masculinity look like to me, it means that we are able to express our full range of emotions without being demonized for it, right? That's great. Without being called soft, right? Without being that are these terms that are attacking us because we don't fit, quote unquote, what society says what masculinity is, right? Like, right, right. That's for me. That's what it is. Hugo, go. I remember. I remember. I had never even heard the term patriarchy until I went to success stories. Until uh, uh I met R- R- Richie Reseda, who was the co co founder. And uh, I never even heard that term. And I know that you were you were at one time the the chairman of was it the chairman or president? What was it? I don't remember the term, chairman. Uh, the chairman of, of, of success stories for our audience out there who's never heard the term patriarchy, you know, and, that, and, and me and Jay have learned through through doing this podcast is it's very important for us to define our terms. You know, there's there I've had conversations with you guys about there are those who heard the term prison abolitionism and they think that it means shut down all the prisons tomorrow. And then they're and they don't they don't they don't question their unquestioned yeah. assumptions with those who believe that. And then there's a responsibility on the other side of for those who believe in pri- prison abolition or, or or whatever it is, prison feminism for to also educate, educate your audience to to let them know. Here's what I mean. Here's what I'm talking about. So what would you define the term patriarchy and give us a, a, a some type of example? So many, many described it earlier. Um, so the, the, the principles of, of what makes me more of a man is having a lot of women. So now I'm a pimp. I'm a player. I'm the guy that I'm that guy. I'm the guy that always gets the women that somehow, some way gives me the accolades of, be, of being the man. Um, another, another, another example is having money. I drive a Mercedes Benz or I have a big house or I have the money. So I'm more of a man than you because I make more money than you. Um, and another one is like what he said is dominant. So it's when a society believes in that it's when a society, I'm talking about even, even, even when women are like, no man up, you need to, you need to do this, this, and this, the man's supposed to throw the trash out. The man's supposed to wash the car. The man's supposed to do this and that. Like even when it, it, it could be patriarchal all around. So what I'm talking about is when a community believes in this, when a whole society believes in it, that's when it becomes patriarchy. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so giving a, a clear example of this would be, um, like for uh, I'll, I'll I'll use this for example. Like in prison, there's certain words that 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 can be said that can trigger someone to immediately do something. Sure. And when I say immediately do something, I mean immediately act out violence. So uh, act out in violence. So a word I'll just be flat out and say it. In prison, using the word, the, using the B word, mm-hmm. uh, and using it towards someone else would immediately can possibly even end up in in, in a violent stabbing or in a fight. It, and the question is why. Why is it that someone can control you to do what you want to do, even though you may possibly not want to do that, knowing that the consequences of that may be great? Going to the hole, getting another charge, possibly killing the person. Like, why is it that you yourself are willing to choose to go against yourself and you're the one you're the one narrating this whole act? And, And that's when the questioning becomes like, 
What is it that you're telling yourself that you have to do? And why are you telling yourself that you have to do it? And it's this belief that's so embedded deeply in us. And I want to make one thing clear too. It goes, the whole, we're not saying stop cheering. We're not saying stop being competitive. We're not saying stop being the person that makes you you as far as like being a good athlete or high-fiving or saying, yeah, I told you I was going to make that three-pointer at the buzzer. We're not saying that part. What we are saying is, like, do not censor yourself when you honestly are feeling hurt. And instead of saying you're hurt, you're saying I'm pissed off or I'm mad. Instead of instead of really wanting to express yourself for what you're really feeling, you sell yourself out, betray yourself, and start covering that up with violence because you're telling yourself that that is more acceptable than it is to start crying and saying I'm hurt. I, I, I would like I, to, I, I continue. I would like to use quote, the example. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say like for me, it made it like transparent when I was in prison, right? I think that the, sometimes we forget that there were gifts that we had being in that environment sure. because it made certain things like apparent right away if we were paying attention. And I think for me, when I was reading Bell Hooks, and, I, and I'll be perfectly honest with you, my introduction into toxic masculinity and all this, like there were some things that came up for me where I didn't necessarily buy in right away, right? Of course, I had to do investigation. I had to do homework. I had to educate myself on what we were talking about. Because at first, when I heard patriarchy, I thought I was going to have to basically apologize for my maleness, right? Mm. I didn't know that there was a whole system of things that were happening and that systems were based off of it because of this thing, right? But when I began to educate myself, one of the things that Bell Hooks, if I can quote her correctly, one of the things that she said about patriarchy is patriarchy has taught us that masculinity has to be proven uh, by the willingness to conquer through fear and aggression, Right? Like, those are the ways that we have to do that. So when we're specifically looking at like that, like that is what patriarchy is. And it has done multiple things to us in our society because we have adopted that belief that the only way for us uh, uh, to prove anything is to conquer through fear and aggression. So that be- and being in prison, you, you see it every day. You, sure. Like it, that is apparent to you every day. Like, oh, like people think that the only way that they can get power is through by doing that. And even when they're questioned in certain ways that that is the answer or the resolution to that. Um, So so I want to add something though, something very important. And then what I want to add is why is this important? That's awesome. Like some people yawn at this conversation and say, Oh, I see you guys are some of those feminists. Like I, and and again, like what Richie was saying is there's assumptions of already knowing where we're going to come from, but why is this important? Like, why does this even matter? And why are we delivering this in prison? What we do is we make it very clear. Like we're not for the first time ever, we're not going to tell you what you need to do for yourself. For the first time ever, we want you to sit down, write on a piece of paper, your top five most important things. And then we want to use that as a gauge as to like how you are living for that or living against that. Right. And then it just happens to be that this patriarchal way, this toxic masculine way of being stops us from actually being true to our top five, our top most important things in life. And it has nothing to do with what I told you was most important to you. It has everything to do with what you wrote. Sure. You customize this list to say what you and now let's what's talk most about important it. in your life. Exactly. Absolutely. And now we have a conversation of how getting getting into that stabbing, being involved in that riot, or doing certain things that you have not been doing that line up with your top five most important things. Now we're able to have a conversation. And it just happens to be that it goes back. We lost your audio. Yeah, I lost it too my emotions because that's my deepest weakness. <laughs> what I ended up finding out is that my vulnerability was my deepest strength. The, what I ended up finding out whenever speaking in front of people is get fucking uncomfortable. The right. moment I get uncomfortable with saying the truth and being vulnerable, the, the, the rest of the audience, the rest of the people in the room are able to feel every single word that I say simply because they're able to relate, but they're not willing to say what I'm saying because they're still in this way of thinking, in this way of feeling like, man, I'm glad you said that because I was crying when my mom died, but yeah, I was sure. crying in a dark cell and I wiped my tears the moment my celly came back in from yard because I didn't want nobody to see me cry. Right. And the moment I was able to talk about my grandmother passing away and how she was my mom as I was growing up, the moment I was able to describe how I felt and and, and choke up in front of people and even get a moment where it's like, man, I'm 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 feeling kind of messed up right now. Like I'm 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 drenched in my emotions right now and I'm kind of losing my composure in front of so many people. Sure. But it was in those moments where not only was I able to connect with other human beings, but other human beings were able to connect with me. That's right. And I recognize, and I'll say it again, and I'll, I'll say it constantly, my vulnerability is not a weakness. My no, vulnerability a is a strength, and we all have that same strength, that same ability to connect with human beings and being able to understand each other in a way where we, we don't have to agree, we don't have to condone, we don't have to justify, 
where we can actually start getting an idea, a picture of what the story looked like from our angle. So what and I'm, that's where growth comes from. What I'm hearing you guys yeah. both say in, in different ways is that really what success, success stories is about, what prison fe feminism is about, what challenging patriarchy is about, it's about getting authentic. It's about authenticity. Yes, 100%. It's, it's, about getting back, it's about getting back to a point where people are seen as people. Sure. Right? Sure. And then when we get to the, when we get to that point, now there's we have like we talked about accountability early on. Like right. some of our greatest strengths is we were holding each other accountable and we must do the same thing. The same work that we men did inside, society has to start doing, right? Okay. We have to start looking at our institutions. Are, are our institutions that are in ways in acting out violence to achieve control, is yeah. that what we want, sure. right? Like, don't, <clears throat> let's just speak plainly. The carceral system that we have currently, we, we know isn't working. Right. We know that when you sentence people to, you know, arbitrary amounts, arbitrary amounts of time, that that's not what's conducing or is productive or it, it's not bringing about any type of public safety. Like, that's not what that's doing, right? Sure. Like, we know that we need to start looking about it in those ways. And all of it is steeped and certain belief systems that we can then change, right? And, and, and one of the things that I think that we just haven't talked about in terms of success stories is success story sees the individual's success as the community success, right? Mm. Like the idea is to build a community that is going to support other individuals sure. in doing things for themselves is serving the community that makes them successful, right? Like there is no one thing that's outside the, the, outside the other. We're in this together, right? And in... And one person's suffering or one person's whatever they're going through, right? Like we have the ability to help them in that, right? The minute that we start saying, well, that's not our problem, right? right. We've only just created a situation where that person can right. get worse because now we don't see it as our problem. Mm -hmm. You go, go ahead. I was just going to say this. So you, you, you spoke about success and personal success. And for me, you know, it starts with the individual, right? And for both of you, I imagine it's also true that while you were inside, you had personal transformation, success in your own right, and you, you got authentic with yourselves. How has that, or has it, translated to your success out here in the community? Bro, I never, I, 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 I literally, I, I didn't, I, man, I'm even speeches right now. <laughs> I remember I remember when the governor commuted my sentence, mm -hmm. and, I, and, and I had said to him on the phone that, that I was going to, um, well, actually, this was when I was being uh, investigated for commutation, but I, I was being recorded. And I said, is the governor going to listen to this? And, and, and he was like, well, there's a possibility he will, but most likely he won't. And I go, well, I want to say something to him. And then I said, like, look, Governor Brown, you don't know who I am, but my name is Hugo Daniel Gonzalez. And one day we're going to meet and I'm going to shake your hand and, and you're not going to regret the day that happens. Mm -hmm. So I... After I said that, I was like, that sounded kind of cocky. Like, that, 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 that didn't even come out right. But it was already... It was, it already was there. It was recorded, yeah. So it was like, yeah. there was no taking that back. Yeah. So I left, and I wish I wouldn't have said that, but that was quoted back to me the day that he granted my commutation. But not only that, though, that actually came to be where I was actually giving him an award. I had filet mignon and salmon with him. Wow. We had a four-hour conversation, <laughs> and I was able to actually get the inside scoop by the governor that actually signed off for me. Wow. Then after that, um, CIA comes to get me at work. I end up in Marina Del Rey, and I speak in front of 60 White House officials where they give me. And, and mind you, I really don't care for the president that we had at the time, but. I still love the fact that only after being out for three months, I, I had the presidential coin and presidential pin in my hand. And That's I was amazing. Able to speak in front of 60 White House That's officials. amazing. Supporting I, the First Step Act, but also speaking in front of the dude that wrote the speech for Trump that, that, uh, on supporting that, that actual uh, um, act. That's so incredible. It was just and that's just the beginning of it. Now sure. I'm actually going to go to Loyola Marymount Law School. Like, what the fuck? Look, honestly, I'm going to just go ahead and be blunt. I, yeah. I, mm -hmm. it, I'm, man, I'm still speechless on how life has turned out for me. And it's almost right, like Hugo. a movie. And I, and I enjoy it. It's ups and downs. But I'll tell you right now, I wouldn't trade this for the world. Mm -hmm. And it's just amazing to know that finding my authentic self has opened my, so many doors, so many doors for me to walk into and, and be in such uncomfortable positions, but actually find comfort in that. Mm. Actually find comfort in that, knowing that, you know what, I'm bringing myself and myself is more than enough. 
That's right. Knowing that like, I, I was meant for this and reality says that I was meant for this because it's happening as as we're speaking. <laughs> I told you you had potential. My, my man. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, bro. I love what you. What about Manny? I'm proud of you, man. Yeah, I think for me, right, awesome, the, dude. the moment that I had done enough self-discovery um, and got real with myself about my insecurities, mm-hmm. um, whatever issues that I was having, my hopes and dreams, um, I believe walls started to fall, right? So I think that we as human beings, we consistently, we will build up these walls, right? Whether they be, you know, we think, you know, our geographic location or our socioeconomic upbringing or uh, uh, like all, we'll bring up all these barriers, right? To why why everybody else's so, experience is so different from our own. And then what's happening is what we're saying is we don't have a lot of commonalities, right? Mm-hmm. There's not a whole lot that we share. And the moment that I became aware of what I was struggling with, um, and listen to other people open up about things that they were struggling with, I realized that a lot of our stories, you know, there was a lot of intersectionality there um, and that we're not all that different. Sure. And it allowed me to see parts of me in everyone, right? And if I could have that commonality with it, if I could look at somebody and see me, right? Like now we're in this together. And I think that, Having that mindset is the reason to like, it doesn't even feel right when I'm not like in, like when I feel like I'm not in the trenches with somebody else trying to make some self-discoveries with them, right? Because as they make self-discoveries, I'm still discovering things about myself. Sure. Um, whether, whether or not it may even be from afar, right? Like even watching the brothers, right? When I watch you guys do certain things, it's just like, I feel like it's me. Um, that, that is also having those accomplishments, right? So it's just like, it's just this circle and this idea of that, look, we're all just fragmented pieces of a whole picture, right? That doesn't mean that like, so if we're all fragmented pieces of the whole picture, like we may think that we're not in this together, but no, we all need one another in order to get the picture, the, the picture complete once again, right? Like we have to come together, mend whatever broken pieces that we are, heal together, provide whatever resources that are needed so we can get back to our whole selves and create this whole beautiful picture that is our life's existence. That's right. So, I mean, I think that that's the way that when, I, when I'm looking at that, when I was able to discover that about myself, yeah, it just, it just carries up. me from day to day. That's what's up. Hugo, a minute ago you talked about going on the inside. What is success? What was success stories doing pre-COVID for us going into county jails, going into prisons? What are you guys' goals there? Um, and, and, and what are you guys doing now in this, you know, in this pandemic? Uh, and, and, and do you do, do you, do success stories, does it do other things besides going into jails and prisons with your guys' program? I'm glad you asked that because COVID for us, it was actually a moment and, and Manny and I were talking about this the other day. Like there's so many organizations and companies that didn't make it through COVID. Whereas we actually did the opposite. We grew, we were able to adapt. And instead of having to go into prisons, go into county jails, we actually use technology, Zoom, uh, to our advantage. And now we're able to reach further than, than we were ever uh, without having to travel anywhere. But I also want to mention something, and you, that, that's what we're doing right now. But I want to mention the fact that it's, it's so amazing to be able to be in prison, uh, help create a program, a curriculum, and then actually come out here. And then see it all come to fruition in a way where we're walking into a downtown L.A. skyscraper and we have an office there. And while people are talking about different conversations of what their business is like, our business is prison. And we're talking about prison and we're talking about how we're going to make things different and how we're going to change things and how we're going to make things move. So just to be able to be a part of an organization that comes out here, becomes a reality in the free world, and then see individuals like you guys and do do the same thing from your angle, like, it's not a coincidence that we're out here. And it's not a coincidence that we're reaching it in such a way that we're reaching it because truth of the matter is, is that uh, we were all meant for something. And I'm, 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 I'm extremely blessed to acknowledge the fact that I'm doing what I was meant to do. And I know that each and every one of you are doing the same thing. It's a great feeling. I, I think, I think it's powerful to think about it this way. Success story started at one prison. Uh, we got out, then it went to four prisons. Then we got a contract for seven additional prisons and we were going into, you know, county jails and stuff like that. Uh, so pre COVID there was this idea of like, okay, we're doing prisons. Um, and then as Hugo said, like we had to adapt very quickly when COVID started hitting. So now we were able to work with the community. 
and we're able to work with community all over across the country. We got we work we deliver program in New York. Um, there's the toxic delivery program in D.C. in Chicago. Um, and now you know my personal think something that's close to my heart, right? Like we're we're able to work with youth organizations. Um, so to see this thing that we started inside to kind of heal with one another and to now know that we're having these talks in society and it's just as needed in society in different organizations um, as it was inside, like that for me, and I honestly get another sense of value, right? Like I didn't know when we were sitting in prison having these conversations and developing curriculum out that I was going to be needed in the community in the way that I am. We're sought after now, right? Like it's not, it's outside of corrections. Sure. It's different when you have people coming to you and say, Hey, I got this group of 14 to 18 year old men that are really going through a hard time. And, and, you know, they've seen your documentary and they question and, and now they want to know, will you guys, you know, are you guys willing to come through? And it's like, yeah. And then, you know, you question like, well, do people really want to show up for 12 weeks, two hours at a time? And then like, they're eager to be there. Like, Oh, 12 weeks. That's it. Like one day, like they want more. Uh, can we do this twice a day? And then when they're done, it's like, which is why we have our alumni program. You know, they can come back and get resources there and continue to get training. So to be needed in that way and to see that we can serve our communities in that way for me was like, okay, like it, it, it gave me a sense of, of uh, you know, a worthiness and, and knowing that I can give back. And it's almost a form of restitution when you think about it, right? Yeah, sure. Like we are, we have the opportunity to provide information in a different way of viewing life so that people don't end up in the same circumstances that we were all in, right? By bought, by buying into this this falsehood of that I have to act this way because this is what is expected right. of. Like that in and of itself, if I did nothing else, that in and of itself is a gift giving every day. For sure. The fact Thank that you. I'm contributing to somebody saying, you know what, I don't have to act out in this harmful way. I, I have every right to speak out in this way or cry or get clear what's important to me or have future-based thinking and, you know, long-term thinking and all that, like, and to be that example, you know, people look at us, especially Hugo and I, and be like, hey, you guys did how much time in prison? Mm-hmm. And like, uh, it's almost unfathomable to them. Like, wait, what? Um, and, and to be able to speak to them in that real way. So, yeah, um, being able to, you know, talk to young kids, being able to talk to community members, right? Being able to have a group of men who are successful in their own right. I remember I was, run- I was running a group and the, 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 the gentleman had been working in radio for over 40 years. Yeah. So he was successful in his own right. Sure. But to see him question um, how he may have been acting on his masculinity and how it damaged certain relationships in his life and how he's looking forward into using certain things so that his grandchildren aren't coming up in a society like that to where him and his son can mend different things and they could talk about like, bro, where else do we get that other than doing community work? Right. That's real. Okay. Well, here's what I, here's what I want to share with you, uh, with, with both of you guys. And uh, we'll, We'll uh, we'll uh, conclude with this question, and then I want you to share about your social media. You know, when I when I was growing up, I heard that term "be a man," be a man, and so many guys in prison uh, still use that kind of terminology. Man, he needs needs to be a man, and I never ever once remember that term being defined. What does it mean to be a man? And what I always heard was, "Don't cry, don't be a sissy, don't be a puss." Um, uh, if you guys are gonna fight, I don't want to hear about it. If you're going to cry, I'm going to give you something to really cry about. And then what we do is you know, like, oh, you want to cry? You want a dad or you, I come into my mom. I come into my dad. I say, oh, someone hit me or this is what happened. And they said, don't come in here. Well, I get back outside and play. I don't want to hear it. And then what I learned to do was just keep those emotions inside. It was not safe to take those emotions. Like he was talking about that vulnerability. I learned that vulnerability was not a good thing. And I and I and I would take those suck it all up (laughs) and keep it in and keep it in and keep it in. And I didn't learn how to deal with it. And it wasn't until 2009 when I read Joe Ehrman's book, Season of Life, that totally blew my mind. He, for the first time, defined what it means to be a man. And Joe Ehrman defined it in two ways. And he said, the first is, it's all about how you live and how you love, about your character that you live by today and how you love people. He said, I talk... Talk about those people on the planes that went down during 9-11. Not one of them was saying, well, good thing I scored those five touchdowns. Let me make this last call and remind people how much money I made or how, much, how good of a basketball player I was or how, or how many women I slept with. Nobody was making those calls. Well, the calls they were making were, tell my mom I love her. Let me call my wife. It was about telling the people that you love that you love them, 
that you miss them. What type of a father are you? What type of a brother are you? What type of a son are you? What type of a colleague are you? Are you living with character traits to add value to the people that you love the most in this world and even the neighbor that you don't know? And the second, he said, was living for a cause that's greater than yourself, that every man should get attached to being a part of service. And I hear that. I hear that in your words, the, the character that you, you both live by, the, the way that you love people by going back in. I know so many people, they, they don't, that's the last thing they want to do is go back into prisons or jails. And the way that you're willing to go back for your brothers and sisters and living for a cause that's bigger than yourself. And, and I guess the, the last question that I would have before asking for our audience how they can reach out to success stories, how can they find you guys on social media is, are, are, are there any challenges that you've experienced either from out here or in there? Because I've, I've talked to some, some of family members who still hold to those ideas. And I said, man, you need to watch this video from Joe Ehrman on, on, on what it means to be a man. I hear it from women in grocery stores. You better, you better shut up. You better stop being a sissy or I'm going to tell your dad on you when you get back, you know? And, and, and I, and I hear that and I go, man, that kid's got a rough road ahead of him if he starts believing that stuff. So what are some of the challenges that you experience? Is there any pushback? I remember on the feminist and South blog, why there was a, one guy said, my kids got to walk to school. What's the pushback? Sure. Um, absolutely. There's been pushback. I think for me, I've noticed it in the, like when you're dealing with professional men, especially, uh, and the difference, the difference in dealing with somebody who's in the professional field, as opposed to like men who are, when we were in prison, this hyper violent environment and the push, pushback that we were getting there is, you have to remember that these men in these positions have gained a sense of power from patriarchy. So I'm asking them to investigate something that is serving them, right? And probably who has served them for a long time. Um, and really quickly, I want to back up. Even, even when I hear someone says like, what is being, uh, you know, what is, you know, being a man mean to you, right? Or what would you tell someone the definition man? And I would say just be a person of integrity, right? Because some of the, a lot of the times when we're telling somebody to man up or be a man, like it's still steeped in those origins of patriarchy, right? Like in what that means. But when I'm telling you to be a person of integrity, it goes back to that the second aspect of what you were talking about, right? And is make sure that you're the person whose behavior is supporting the things that you're saying is most important to you, right? When we talk about our family, our community, our work, like all that, be that. Make sure that when you go out on a day to day, that people can read that in your language, in your body language, right? To be sure. that person, to be the person of integrity. So. I, 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 I try to make sure that I'm watching my language. I mean, language is, is, is sometimes it's difficult because a lot of times, and I think specifically for men, the challenge is this that we run into. A lot of us are participating in a system that we're not even aware exists. Like you're not even aware of it. So until we're educated about it and we see that how it affects us in a multitude of our ways, right? When we're seeing that our relationships are suffering, because if you're, if like Rich talked about, if I'm bottling things up and I'm not sharing my emotional self, I am not giving myself over freely to the people who I'm saying are most important to me. Mm. So I'm giving them a fraction of who I am, right? And then there's like resentments and things that are building up in within me because I'm not fully, I'm not, I don't have the permission. I haven't given myself. This is the scary part. We are not giving ourselves the full permission to be who we are as human beings. Right. And then that stuff creates things within us to now everyone around us is suffering. Thank you, right? Manny. I'm saying that we don't have to do that any longer. And, right. and it's a challenge because sometimes so, certain people have been participating in the system for so long and they have things to gain from it. And what we have to do, what we have to do is get them, like, like Hugo said, get them to discover for themselves that the continued participation in the way that it's happening now is repressing them and oppressing those around them. Right. And I think that's important. Thank you, Manny. Uh, Hugo, how can people find out about success stories? So um, we, uh, you can go to our website, successstoriesprogram.org, um, and, and, and get connected. Not only be able to like see what we have, but we have uh, uh, different um, sections of resources, and it gives a clear explanation as to what we're about. And then we're always open uh, uh, to getting uh, emails or any type of uh, um, feedback. And one thing I want to mention uh, that Manny was mentioning is uh, when, when, when you talked about uh, what, what kind of a resistance or what kind of uh, um, a back, uh, backlash for a better term uh, um, we receive uh, from, for me, we, we welcome resistance. We welcome an individual that takes a belief as a reality and, and, and as truth to be able to express it because it's in those conversations that an individual could actually be able to That's like right. 
listen to himself speak mm-hmm. about how mm-hmm. he's limiting himself sure. or mm-hmm. herself. Mm-hmm. So these are these are very important keys that, that that make us who we are and make us as unique as we are. That's great. Um, and you, but yeah, uh, once again, so, um, it's successstoriesprogram.org. Um, for anyone and everyone that's interested or wants to know more, please uh, hit us up. Awesome. Yeah, you can, more you, can also, you can also reach us at Success Stories Program on Facebook. You can reach us at, at Prison Feminism on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, you can reach out directly to me uh, as a growth coordinator, which is Manny, M-A-N-N-I-E, at Success Stories Program. Or you can send me an email, Hugo as well, Hugo, H-U-G-O, at successstoriesprogram.org. You can reach out to us by email. Um, and then, of course, you can always check out our documentary on YouTube, The Feminist and Sublock Why. Um, and, you know, I think that's, that's pretty much. And then for those of you who, you know, are in the, you know, in the position to help out, either volunteer time or maybe you have finances that you can contribute to the cause, because, I mean, at the end of the day, it's context work. You can donate on our page or, you know, you can donate our time when we need, like, research help or you know data interest search or however that works out but yeah reach out to us manny and hugo from success stories awesome thank you so So much for joining us today thank you guys for having us keep up the great work yep keep it up man talk to you guys soon (laughs) thank you thank you for listening to the prison post a production of the crop organization we'll be sharing more stories from the world of prison reform and restorative justice so please join us you can listen to The Prison Post on all major podcasting platforms. Subscribe to our video cast on YouTube and like us on Facebook at The Prison Post and at Creating Restorative Opportunities and Programs.